0: Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North, and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything, leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello, and welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm your host, Nicole North, and I am joined by the most fabulous Meredith Brenda. Hello. Welcome. How are you today? I am really well. How are you? I am quite well, enjoying some beautiful sunshine and warm weather.
1: Ah, uh, it is a little gloomy, doomy here in New York City on Memorial Day, but I I don't mind it so much. Very well. Happy Memorial Day. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> we celebrated our Victoria Day last. Two two weeks ago now. So similar, similar holiday with similar themes-ish, sort of.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Um, so I would love to chat about what you do because when I met Meredith, I was absolutely blown away for a couple of reasons. She is like a ball of shining light and joy. (laughs) And the work she does is super, super interesting. So Meredith, tell us about yourself and what you do.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Nicole. And likewise, I thought you were an amazing just ball of energy. And I'm super excited to to see our relationship continue. Um, So I am a public speaking and presentation skills coach. And I came into this industry by uh, being a performer and an improviser. And I studied improv Uh, acting in Chicago, Illinois, where I taught for the second city for four years, uh, and also performed on stages as an improviser in several places, and also a trained actor. I have my master's in theater, and so I've done a lot of directing. I've done a lot of stage acting, and it was the improv that really, I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with this form that I could just jump up on a stage at any time with a group of people with the same vocabulary and create a show. And uh, from that, I was invited by an executive coach that I met uh, through one of my classes. He's like, hey, why don't you come and start helping me out with some of these teams, these global teams and manufacturing teams predominantly that I've been working with. uh, And we can incorporate your improv exercises with – These psychological assessments that I've been giving. So he was predominantly, you know, if you've got Myers-Briggs and DISC, he was working predominantly with the Berkman method. And so I would come in after they would get their assessment, we'd work with these different personality types. And in these wonderful situations using games, exercises, activities that had no real world consequences. And so everyone was on equal footing, exploring this together in these uh, improv containers, if you will. And then we would debrief them and we'd notice what we noticed. And we'd talk about how can we use this in our our day-to-day and as a team and in the world. And uh, I just fell in love with the work. And so from there, uh, I was tossed uh, into other different places like my, this executive coach friend of mine. He would say, can you now coach this CEO? He's got a big, uh, a com- there's a big talk coming up. Can you help this person in the boardroom and can help this guy over here? And I was starting to work one-on-one with people and their presentation skills and also loved that. So here I am. Here I am living in New York City doing it and still performing and doing some commercial and voiceover work. Living your best life. I love it. I, I, uh,
0: you know, while not a trained actor or anywhere near a professional actor, I did do improv in high school for a couple of years. And I love it because I am terrible at memorizing lines because I (laughs) later in my 20s did a ton of community musical theater. And I'm the worst because I can never remember any of the lyrics to the songs um, and, you know, just barely remember any of the dance routines. So um, uh, improv for me was always a joy because it meant
1: very little, little to no prep. And it, and, it, and it probably helped you when you forgot the dance moves and the lyrics that you could just improvise your way <laughs> through it.
0: <laughs> uh, funny story. In grade, oh gosh, is it when I was in eighth grade? So I lived in Florida at the time and uh, I uh, was trying out for the cheerleading squad and I, we were in kind of a, a three-person tryout group. And I was in the top of the uh, kind of point. And then the two people that were auditioning with me were behind me Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I screwed up. But apparently I had this enormous grin on my face that the coach said, uh, you know, when they were debriefing about why my two friends didn't get on the squad, she said, well, you guys didn't do the routine properly. And they said, no, it was Nicole who didn't do the routine properly. And she's like, well, she didn't drop her smile. So we, I couldn't tell the difference.
1: Oh, see, I love that. You committed your way through it. Committed my way through it. Still, yep. still, still doing that to this day. Just <gasps> Aren't we all though?
0: Smiling, smiling <laughs> through it, hoping no one notices. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, so wonderful. So tell me, so, you know, for, for those that are listening and may not have a ton of exposure to improv, yeah, maybe let's explain a little bit about what that looks like. So I'll do a little bit of explain explaining from my perspective and then you can um, jump in and, and kind of make the connection to how you use it. Um, but from my perspective, you know, improv is, you know, you create a scenario and then everyone kind of jumps in and there is no script. You just, go with the flow and you create a scene or a it could be a song what's that there was an improv show on television for years called whose line is it anyway yeah and it was all based in improv and so quite often it's comedy I don't know if there's any other types of uh, dramatic improv or sad (laughs) improv I don't think so but uh you can jump in and so tell us how an improv exercise connects to a corporate setting? How does that intersect?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So yeah, there are many forms of, of improv and I'll just break it down a little bit. There's short form improv, which is the whose line is it anyway? And then there is long form improv and there is some dramatic long form improv for sure, because people are constantly experimenting with the different forms and the long form improv is more scene based. So relationship based. Uh And so there's the most famous of those would be the Herald, which was uh it was birthed out of Improv Olympic IO, which is now no longer, unfortunately, through Del Close and Sharna Halpern. And uh, so there are these different forms, and I was teaching both improv long form and the short form more at the Second City was the short form. So the way that I feel it. Can is incorporated into, let me give you an, you asked for an exercise example. So I will give you an exercise that I love doing and I use it as the warm up. right? So if we were doing this in person, God help us all, we will someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always love starting with this exercise called red ball and I would stand in the center of the circle. I'd have everyone stand up on their feet and stand in a circle. And I get a lot of resistance sometimes when I walk into these rooms. But I will tell you this, after a couple of exercises, I have given everyone permission to just have some fun and to learn something. And inevitably, by the end of every session, people are, are laughing and, and enjoying themselves and have had some real practical tools to apply in their day-to-day. Uh, but this exercise, red ball, is I start off with this imaginary red ball. And I walk to somebody in the circle and I make eye contact with them. I say, I make eye contact with you, Nicole. And I say, Here you go, Red Ball. And then, Nicole, you take the Red Ball and you're instructed to then say, Thank you, Red Ball. And then you make eye contact with somebody else in the circle and you choose how you're going to engage with them. Are you going to throw the red ball? Are you going to walk over to them and hand them the red ball? And you hand them the red ball. You say, here you go, red ball. They say, thank you, red ball. You continue in that way. Well, meanwhile, I'm adding in other things. I'm walking on the outside of the circle and I'm handing somebody, here you go, top hat. They say, thank you, top hat then they pass the top hat and then I'm adding in a mustache and then I'm adding in a, a tuxedo and then I'm adding in a, a white rabbit and then I'm hand, you know, adding in a magic wand. And so what's happening is all these things are being moved about the space simultaneously, right? They're being handed off and given and received throughout the space. And then I'll say, stop at some point. And then I will check in with everybody who has the red ball. And then I'll get The person who has the red ball in their hand will raise their hand. Well, who has the top hat? They'll raise their hand. Who has the magic wand? No one raised their hand. Oops, we lost that one. Who has the white rabbit? No one raises their hand. We lost the white rabbit, right? So you get the idea that it's about this. What we're doing is we're doing multiple things at the same time. We were invited to make eye contact and we were invited to communicate. Here you go, red ball. And then the thank you, the acknowledgement, red ball. And then we're to move on to the next person. The only objective to the exercise is to make sure that you have all of those things when I say stop. Inevitably, we don't have all of those things when I say stop. And then we talk about why. And then we, we unpack how were you communicating with each other? Were you making eye contact? Let's check your breath Uh, were you breathing during this exercise or was your, were you feeling a little bit of anxiety because you were unsure if you were following the directions? And so your breath was a little bit shallow. So then we talk about those things. I have them notice what they were feeling, how they were communicating. I invite that into the space and then we do it again. And especially if they hadn't succeeded in the first try, And then it shifts and then they do succeed in the second try because they've heightened their awareness around their own breath and their own interactions one-on-one with other people and how they've also followed the directions. And then you can also debrief a lot of different things from that as well. Like what do we do in situations where we're called to multitask? How do we negotiate that space? How do we create boundaries for ourselves within that space? How do we communicate with our team about what the rules of engagement are? Uh, so there is a lot of different beautiful learning uh, uh, moments that come from this exercise that has no real world consequences. We're passing around an imaginary ball for crying out loud, you know, but it's pretty amazing to see what unfolds from that. So I hopefully that gives you a really good example. That is a perfect example. And the first thing that I thought of was the idea
0: of active listening and yes. Were you so prepared to do what you were going to do with the ball or whatever item you thought was going to come your way that you, you couldn't even listen to what the person brought to you, right? Like, were you not active listening? That's the first thing that I thought of. And I think that's fascinating. I know one of my um, facilitator friends introduced me to Yes And. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they used it as a brainstorming tool, right? So when you're in a meeting, instead of people saying, yeah, but we don't have budget for that, or yeah, that's not going to work. We've already tried that before that, you know, I think they also used a ball in a similar way. And so every time someone had to say something, they took the ball and said, yes, and can we consider budget options? Yes, and you know, is it possible this was done before? And we watched the language totally transform.
1: I think it's, yes. so yes, and to that, Nicole. And just to explain to the listeners, yes, and is at the foundation of improv. And yes, and is used as a tool to further along the storyline, to yes, and the offer, to uh, really build onto each other ideas like building blocks. Uh, and it's beautiful what emerges when you yes and each other. Because you could have an idea in your head, for example, that um, we we are going to make this, is, I'm making this up as I speak. So <laughs> let's see if this is a good example or not. Um, but I'm going to make a carrot cake, right? And you, I have my idea of what a carrot cake is. Is what the ingredients are going to be, and it's just I'm just shredding carrot. It's going to be the basic flour, egg, whatever mixture, right? Um, and then I'm I'm going to do a cream cheese frosting, and that's it. And then if you walked into the room, Nicole, and you said, "Oh my God, you're making carrot cake," you know, my grandmother used to put pineapple in her carrot cake mix, and I would say no. And then someone would walk in and be like, "Oh, I really like walnuts. I would let's try walnuts." I said no, right? <laughs> like. It, and we've all been in those situations where we get so stuck in the way we think something should be made or done or a project should be rolled out that we don't we don't consider that these other ingredients these other offers could actually make that Taste better. It could make it more efficient. It could make it a better project. It could turn into something that we didn't think it could turn into, right? Um, so, if everyone who walked in the room or into the kitchen said, "I'm mean, going," let's add this, let's add this, let's add this, it could be the best tasting dang carrot cake on the planet, but we would never know if we I didn't yes and each other and that was my example never used that example in my entire life but i maybe i'm hungry anyway uh-huh. so um that yes the yes and component i think in ideation especially is so important because what it does is it 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 creates this inclusive community where all voices get to be heard. So it's not just one person talking in ad ad nauseum, but everyone in the room gets heard. Everyone's idea gets put on the whiteboard and everyone's bad idea gets put on the whiteboard, right? They don't all have to be the answer. They don't all have to be good ideas because that bad idea that someone put up on the whiteboard could inspire the best idea but we would never know that if we turn off all of the, uh, if, we, if we don't, yes, and the brainstorm and the ideation process. Um, and so often that's what we do because we think it's efficient and it's actually not because how many kind of okay ideas turned into something that we had to go back to the whiteboard for because it, it, it didn't quite land the way we needed it to. So that's inefficient. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's so interesting to me. And, and this
0: notion of people being safe to put up a bad idea, to, to feel safe to put on a, a wacky idea, to be safe to put an extreme idea, you know, any of those things is what creates innovation. Yeah, right? it is that risk tolerance and that openness that allows organizations people um everything to go beyond what is regular right Mm -hmm. maybe maybe there is something beyond carrot cake in the (laughs) in the bakery right like it maybe it's called something else but what you're as you said what if it is the best cake ever um and we will never know that until we explore all those things and I think uh, when you go into organizations that do design thinking, it, it's very much the same, right? We, we uh-huh. say yes to all of them, and so creating this type of culture in your organization is not only smart; it's it's necessary. It it it's mandatory. It, is. it is. We don't want to bring the p word out, you know, pivot. But the only way that people really successfully pivoted recently. Is through this idea of pure innovation, and saying yeah. yes and let's try it.
1: Yes, and listening like deep, real, true, active listening, like what you had brought up before, uh, and also I think too, I you know what came to mind when I was thinking about the carrot cake analogy is. <laughs> I can think of somebody that's standing in the kitchen going, but my son's allergic to nuts. Like so we can't do that. Or that there's always going to be someone or something that you're not going to be able to please everybody. And I think that's really important to note as well is that when we're in we it's in, impossible to cater to everybody. So you have to, you have to notice that in yourself first before you speak. Like, is this, if, if I say that my son is allergic to nuts, is that being selfish or is that contributing to the whole it's just a question that i'm posing about my uh-huh. carrot cake analogy right yeah how many people are going to miss out because of one person's son being allergic to nuts yeah yeah
0: or do you say yes and my son is allergic to nuts could we try gosh i don't know what a you know nut alternative is could we try Sesame clusters. I don't know. I'm making something up. Those are probably also nuts. But you know what I mean? Could we try this other crunchy mystery item? And what if that mystery item is like the missing piece to the world's greatest carrot cake puzzle? Right. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yes. It's, it's, what yes, is- Annie. Yes. It's like, okay, so your son is allergic to nuts what else? And I think it's that level of curiosity. It's like, okay, tell me more. What else? Uh, wh- the problem-solving piece of it, I think is so exciting. It can create so many beautiful things and possibilities. And uh, so I think if anything with this carrot cake analogy, <laughs> I'm still cracking myself up. about. It. I'm going to run to this door and buy a carrot cake after this, um, is... Uh, is that level it's the curiosity piece i think is the most important it's it's yeah. allowing yourself to live in a place of constant curiosity why what else is missing what could be missing what am i not seeing tell me more about that i i didn't hear you quite well can you can you can you share that with me again yes i hear that you don't have to agree with anything everything either you can have a totally opposite point of view but i think that's where the empathy piece sits into it as well And, and, uh, that's what I also love about improvisational work and these containers that I bring into the workplace is it teaches us to be okay with our opposing points of view and being able, and and it gives us the opportunity to step into the shoes of another person. And that's where real empathy lives. And that's where real conversations can start. This is
0: so amazing. So I'm going to, I'm going to go off script. (laughs) clock. Okay. <laughs> Not unusual for me. Um, I'm, just like, I'm really glad I've never had to perform with you, Nicole. Sounds like a nightmare.
1: No, I um, look forward to I'm performing gonna... with you. I can't wait. <laughs> um, so tell me how we could use
0: improv games to improve the quality of conversations because that is uh, something that's deep in my soul right now with leaders, right? I I'm on this mission to create leaders that, that have compassion, that have grace, that have empathy, that uh, create teams that feel like they are limitless. Like they can defy all odds, right? This is my, been my big mission. So how can we use this tool to help create these deep conversations?
1: Yeah. Thank you for that question. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, Francis Frey for a second because mm-hmm. and, and I will connect back to this, which is Francis Frey writes for Harvard Business Review and is a professor at Harvard and she she talks a lot about leadership training and she talks about this triangle of trust and in that triangle of trust you need to have uh, uh, authenticity and logic and empathy and that all three of those things need to be on equal ground in order for trust to really happen so if you're wobbling in the empathy or the authenticity place then it's going to be very difficult to have that trust if you're wobbling in the logic uh, corner, you're going to have a really difficult time with that. So it's really taking a good hard look at yourself and saying, am I wobbling in any one of those three places? Do I have all of those three within that triangle? Am I bringing empathy, authenticity, and logic into my leadership skill? And so I bring that up because I, when I heard her, st- her TED Talk, I heard her TED Talk, Uh, when she was discussing this and it made me think about improv and also made me think about presentation. And we can talk about that later, but what I believe happens so beautifully using improv as a context for using some of these games and exercises, it really does help you look at your logic, your empathy, and your authenticity and it does it on an equal playing ground. And so you're building trust with your team by allowing yourself to be vulnerable, by allowing your teammates to see you fail in these situations that have no real world consequences. You are laughing together and exploring together. And you are learning a tremendous amount about each other in that debrief, like what you notice. You know, Allen Ginsberg has a wonderful quote, simple, notice what you notice. You get the opportunity to do that in that space. And uh, and when I'm coaching, I also really Invite in where does that feeling live in your body? Communicate and articulate what that feeling is to me. Oftentimes people have a very difficult time communicating what the feeling is. I often will ask, what were you feeling in that moment? And I will get a description of what that feeling looked like, but I never get the feeling. And I'll be like, okay, but let's just back up. I asked for a feeling. You gave me this really rounded idea of what that feeling might look like, but you didn't actually ever mention the feeling, which I think happens often. And it gives them that insight into, oh, I was feeling scared or I was feeling anxiety or I was feeling embarrassed or I was feeling, right? So then we get to see each other reveal these moments of vulnerability Ability in really a safe and brave space. And I, I hope that answered your question, but that's what, where I see the magic of, of these, these improvisational games, exercises, activities. I say all three because we hear those differently. Um, that's the power of that as a leader is that we get to, to be on equal playing ground with our team and we get to see where they're at. They get to see where we're at and we get to be human together. I think that's so
0: powerful. So, so powerful. Uh, and it made me think of, it's a tool that I often use when I'm facilitating and say, you know, when we talk about something a little bit abstract, like influencing, you know, we use that word all the time. And yeah. I'm sure we have a million different definitions about What does it look like? What does influencing look like if you were just watching someone influence someone else? What what would you see? And then what does influencing sound like? What, what are the words you use when you are influencing someone else? And then what does it feel like when you are being influenced? And it's that like being able to describe and explore those three facets that really get you to kind of viscerally understand a concept. So I, I can only imagine In an improv setting, when you are not just describing what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, but you are experiencing what something looks like, sounds like, it feels like, it must be so, so powerful.
1: Yes. Yep and it's a and I'll say this too I have people you know I we get to sit down in the in the facilitations that I do when we're in person um but I do often have people standing and moving about the space because there is an invitation there for us to to use our bodies in connection with our voices which we don't get an invitation to do often and it's incredibly powerful because there is a muscle memory there is uh there is a connection to to being able to engage fully, uh, that is really helpful in that learning process as well.
0: So very, very cool. And now, can you tell me a little bit about how you use this from a public speaking perspective?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. So the ideation piece of it, using yes and to not block your own criticisms of yourself, right, uh, is one. I do incorporate, so for example, one exercise I like to incorporate is um, use what's there, show and tell. So I will, you know, in this virtual world, invite a group to pick up the first thing that they see on their desk and do a show and tell of it. And, you know, so let's just say I pick up my water and I say, okay, this is my water. I have it on my desk all the time. Uh, because I I, I want to stay hydrated, that feels important to me, and I also have uh, apple cider vinegar, just a little cap of it in there, to help with my digestion. And it's in this and it's in this mason jar, and I love drinking water out of a mason jar. There's just something very comforting about that for me. And uh, this mason jar is is something that I had bought when I was living in Colorado, and so it also brings some memories for me into my workspace and I just feel really good. And I feel like I'm doing something nice for my body. So that would be an example, right? Because oftentimes people will come to me and say, I, but I have nothing interesting to say. I haven't experienced huge loss or trauma in my life. So why would someone want to to hear me? Or uh, I have a presentation coming up and I don't see how any of this content where there's a story, uh, I I just, I I don't understand. So I, I will say, okay, first of all, you are interesting in that exercise, especially when you're doing it with a group of people is that we see our commonalities and there might be somebody else that can relate to the fact that they're like, I also love drinking water out of a mason jar. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I I also have water at my desk all the time. And it, Or it could be somebody that has a candle that they light at their desk because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel relaxed. So you learn these little things about each other from something that, that we would, if I wasn't inviting that into the space, might think mundane otherwise. Uh, so- The point is that we are all interesting and we can find some, it doesn't matter what the story is, as long as we give the details and we give the emotion behind it. And if you could tell, I said, it makes me feel good. That was the emotional connection to it. Mm -hmm. There will be somebody in your audience that relates to it. Will everybody relate to it? No, they won't. And that's okay. And the point, too, is that it's not about you, it's about them. So how is your story going to serve them? Well, it's going to serve them because they're going to see the commonalities. Um, And it doesn't have to be a long story. It doesn't have to be long. So if you're presenting uh, technical didactic information, you can find a very simple story with an emotion that connects that content to your point. And if your audience leaves not remembering anything in that content, at least they'll remember that story. And they will leave with a curiosity to want to know more. That's
0: so wonderful, and I think that's so important, especially as we were in this virtual world. And this—I don't think I really felt it until you know this last and what seems like 500th lockdown here in Ontario. This this mm-hmm. idea of I, I missed connecting with people. Yeah. Um, And I get to do it, luckily, all the time on Clubhouse and on Zoom calls. But there is a little bit of an art to connecting with people, both in person and virtually. And I think, I don't know about you, but when I saw the whole world kind of shift virtually, we kind of dropped the the personal niceties. It was like, okay, we're on a Zoom call. Let's get right to business. Here's the first thing. There, was, there wasn't there was a lot of appetite or space being held for those little interesting nuggets of information. Um, and so I'm often training leaders to take time and, and ask questions, but I love this idea of leaders also needing to just open themselves up and be vulnerable and offer personal shares uh, that helps also create the comfort to build that relationship.
1: Yeah, I would agree. We don't get the in-between time. We don't get the the lunch breaks. We don't get the time in the uh, staff room. We don't get the, the cubicle time, whatever. We, we uh, Whatever your office situation is, we don't get that time. We don't have the happy hour, right? Yeah. Um, so we have to build those into these Zoom calls. Otherwise, we're going to lose that sense of trust amongst each other and on the team, which is such an important point that you bring up, Nicole. And So I do encourage one exercise. So that's one exercise, actually, that I've used with teams before, Uh, just that simple storytelling one, because it's, it's an easy kind of intro into things. We learn something about each other. Uh, we grow some trust and empathy in the exercise itself and see our commonalities. Another one that's really great is rosebud thorn, which is you just offer like, what's something really awesome that's happened to you today? What's something that just feels a little bit off or that might be negative, that wasn't so great for you today. And then what's something you look forward to. So you just do a quick check-in with that. Everyone takes about a minute, minute and a half to do that. And then you get a temperature check and you've learned something new about the person.
0: I think that's so wonderful.
1: Yeah, I think it's important.
0: It's giving that space again to to say like, you know, because, you know, I even I sometimes in my, uh, you know, I'm relatively, mostly positive. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think people are put off by this idea of like, share something wonderful that's happening to you. And you kind of go around the room and say, well, I don't have anything wonderful today feels miserable for me. So I love that space to say, tell us something good, tell us something thorny or uncomfortable, and then tell us something that you can look forward to. It's almost helping everyone to train their brain to start looking for opportunities and, 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 and being okay with shit. It doesn't, not everything is roses all the time.
1: No, that can get exhausting, right? To always be like, <laughs> I'm all about gratitude. Don't get me wrong. I will do, I, I love, you know, writing down what I'm grateful for and all of those things. But sometimes I just, I, I need somebody here that it's not so good right now. I need, I need to, that feels important to be heard, right? Yeah. Well, and I've heard, I, I've heard of this idea of toxic
0: positivity. Yeah. Right. That if sometimes you are, consistently sharing only one message that it can be off-putting for others, right? And it makes people feel unsafe to share their discomfort. Um, And, you know, it doesn't necessarily allow for empathy, right? If, you know, someone, you know, I'm really feeling down today. Well, you should be happy. The sun is shining and you should be grateful for what you have and you shouldn't be complaining about this thought or the other. So I think that is such a lovely um, exercise that organizations could really use. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of these tools are great meeting starters. Yep. You know, I I don't like to use the word icebreaker because it seems a bit overused, but this, this, you know, creating warmth virtually through these kinds of activities and storytelling and openness and sharing.
1: Yeah. I, I you know. I think, you know, I think a lot about rules of engagement. Like if you think about how do you want as a leader, if I were hosting a party at my house and I were inviting all of these people over to my house, how would I want them to feel? How would I set up my space so that they felt, uh, they felt welcomed. Um, What kind of food am am I providing? Is, Is there drink and where am I setting that up? Like we think about all of these things, right? When we're hosting a party, So think about those things when you get on a Zoom call. How am I hosting this? What are the rules of engagement? How do I want my team to feel? What is my objective with this meeting? How am I going to get that objective met? And what are the tactics that I'm going to use in this meeting to get that objective met and for my team to feel inspired to help me reach those objectives? How can we work together collaboratively? So I think we have to start looking at th- any presentation or online engagement that we have with our teams as an opportunity to, to connect so that we can get these objectives met.
0: That's such a wonderful way to put it. Such a wonderful way to phrase it. How am I, how am I creating a space for optimal interaction, optimal engagement? I think that's absolutely spectacular. Um, yeah. What If there's one improv skill that you think um, everyone could use in, in the business world, what, what would it be?
1: One improv is notice when you say no, and notice when you say yes, but, and ask yourself, is this a place where I can open my mind and open my heart to the yes. I love it. Um, and what will that
0: do for people and organizations? What impact will that have?
1: I feel it opens up the space for people to feel brave. We hear often safe space where safe space is important. I think brave space is equally important people, we need to feel that our voices can be heard and that when we share something, whether that be a bad idea or a good idea, that it can be received in a brave and safe space, that we have the, the that we're brave enough to be able to bring it into the space in the first place. Um, so that means that we need to notice, like I said, notice what you notice. So if, I'll give an example of that too, is if you're sitting in a conference room, And you're having a meeting, and I'm bringing up gender here for a moment, and you're a leader, and maybe you're a male leader, but you notice that the last three people that have spoken have been men, and the one woman that spoke wasn't validated or acknowledged for the thing that she brought to the table. As a leader, how do you shift that? That would be my one question, so that you can create that brave space for all voices to be heard. And then, as other women in the room, how can you lift up the voice of the other woman that wasn't heard or validated uh, so that that space can be brave and safe for all, in, so that it can be inclusive? Um, I feel that some of these exercises, activities, games that we do in improv can highlight some of those communication habits that we're in and bring light to them in that debrief. That we do. Oh, I love uh, I love
0: what you just said. We are often stuck in communication habits, communication yes. pathways. You know what what those neural pathways in our brain that are like already pre-carved. So we mm-hmm. know when so and so says this, we say this. When so and so ends like this, we say this, and it it becomes rote. It's like the the question, "Hey, how are you? How was your weekend? Good, good. How was yours?" Yeah. No, no information was shared. The question wasn't genuine. The answer wasn't genuine. It's just the fastest way to end that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I love this idea of improv- what, what, what using these tools does is it it, it, it shakes it up. It shakes your neural pathways around so that you have opportunities to behave
1: differently. yes. Yes. And I also think, too, what's beautiful, at least the way that I conduct a room is I – the way I offer in feedback, I think, is also important for these group dynamics, too. I like to always start with what's working and then where do you have questions? What are your curiosities? Rather than this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. It's like, nope, let's start with what does work and then let's talk about where we can – where are there questions and what can use some improvement? And also being clear about if you want the feedback or not, because sometimes people aren't ready for the feedback and we need to be able to empower people to say, I want to share this with you, but I'm not quite ready for feedback. So if you do have things that you've noticed, if you don't mind writing it, back, writing it down, and then when I come back and I've processed this a little bit further, I can come back to you and we can have a discussion about it, I think is important as well. So I think that's something I also bring into these improv workshops is modeling that, how we give and receive feedback.
0: How wonderful. Meredith, what's an ideal client for you? Who is your ideal, who should be, you know, getting ready with their pen and their paper uh, to write down your email address when I ask you that question next?
1: Oh, I love that you asked me this question. All of you, all of you write my name down. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I really love working with uh, mid-level teams and uh, management Uh that has typically been who I have worked for. I've I've worked for a lot of people in IT and manufacturing, and then uh, and yeah, I would say that's predominantly it. Um, and then if you are an individual looking for help in public speaking and presentation skills, I'm more of a generalist in in that area. I will be honest. I I really uh, feel that I can, I can pretty much help anybody in any industry. Uh, I've worked, I've worked with quite a few and uh, to bring your presentations to life. And then if you're an individual who is looking for more of a community oriented and not so one-on-one, I do have Confidently Speaking, which is an online community, a membership community that you can join where you will get uh, weekly instruction. And then you also have uh, peer-to-peer support and accountability. Oh,
0: wonderful. So, Meredith, tell us where everyone can find you and have a bit of of your light in their life.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you can find me at Grundi Coaching, and that's spelled G-R-U-N as in Nancy, D as in dog, E-I Coaching dot com, and then confidently speaking is confidentlyspeaking.club. dot club, and that is where people can find me. Yes. You are also on Clubhouse. So mm-hmm. um, you, we can, you could probably, if people are connected
0: with me, you can probably find Meredith through there. Yeah. Um, yes. And find Meredith. And we will be also looking for opportunities for Whiteboard and Meredith to kind of marry and, and find ways to uh, reach clients on both of these levels. I know that uh, I'm very passionate about people being able to break out of those regular habits that they have. And so I think this is such an exciting way to help build teams and build relationships and change the way we communicate. So I am, I am tickled pink about <laughs> what that may look like in the future.
1: Me too. Me too. Thank you for joining us today, Marla.
0: This has been super informative.
1: Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, listeners. Until next time. Thanks for joining us at At The Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you want to keep up to date with everything that At The Whiteboard podcast is doing, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at whiteboard consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon.